Welcome to the You Love and You Learn podcast, the place to learn about all things love, relationships, relationship anxiety, and to deconstruct the one-size-fits-all narrative of what it means to be in a happy relationship. I'm your host, Sarah Yudkin, a relationship anxiety coach who's on a mission to discuss the nuances of love and relationships that I wish someone would have shared with me years ago. My goal with each episode is for you to leave with an expanded definition of love and relationships and with practices to carry with you in your life and relationships on a day-to-day basis. I'm so grateful to have you here. Welcome back, everybody. Super excited to be back with you for another episode. And in this week's chat, I got a chance to talk to Aaron and Jocelyn Freeman, who are also known as the couple who coaches couples. Their focus is on providing relatable tools and skills to communicate better, fight smarter, and stay on the same team no matter the challenge that you face. All of the resources from their books to their guides to their sessions are designed for you to cure the unpleasant argument hangovers once and for all. And argument hangovers is actually the title of their book, which I linked in the show notes. But I really enjoyed this conversation. They have so much wisdom to share. I love how they're able to bring the perspective of both genders because they are both showing up and sharing their own perspective and they both come from different backgrounds. And as you see in this conversation, they do a really great job of bringing in different perspectives. So I really enjoyed this conversation. I know that communication is just such a big relationship pillar that I get asked about all the time. Navigating conflict is such a big deal, especially if you have a belief that conflict is bad or wrong in a relationship it's really helpful to know how to repair and navigate conflict in a different way. And of course, deepening connection. That's always just such a big component of being in a relationship is having those moments of deeper connection. And so those are the three pillars that we explore in today's episode. And without further ado, let's go ahead and dive in. Hi, Erin and Jocelyn. Thanks so much for being on the podcast. Thanks for having us. Hello. Excited to chat with you both. I feel like the work you're doing is so important. And I love how you go by me, the couple who coaches couples, because I feel like couples work is obviously something I'm passionate about. And I know that relationships are just such a pillar of our other areas of life. So I'm glad that we share this space together. Absolutely. We're passionate about this work. It's our our purpose for being alive. Yeah, definitely. So to help people get a little more of your story, can you share more about how you noticed how your different upbringings, the way that you responded to emotions and your communication style started kind of maybe not meshing how you were expecting and how that influenced the work that you do? Yes, because that's a huge part of our work is talking about noticing where our patterns come from and then being able to consciously do the work to shift them for the better. So we had completely different upbringings and beautiful aspects to each, uh, lots of lessons, but just like the long story short is I grew up in a household where it was very turbulent conflict up until my parents got divorced and it wasn't a nice divorce. It was a lot, a lot of, of turbulence. And that watching how not only my parents, but even other family members handled things, I of course started to pick up on how they did things. And so I wasn't great with conflict communication. I had anxiety even around trusting people. And I thankfully was introduced to self-development and started to really work on myself in my mid-20s before I even met Aaron. So thankfully, you know, the timing in which he met me, because if he met me like two, three years before would have been a different relationship. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so I had started my self-development journey 
had really been starting to work through those patterns. Of course, didn't work through everything because a lot of that started in our relationship. But do you want to do this short of your upbringing? I mean, pretty opposite when I, even when I hear it again, Mm -hmm. it was, I grew up in a Christian home, went to a Christian school, K through 12, went to church, you know, one, two times a week. And so it was mostly like very peaceful. And I think that value structure and value system, you know, kind of guided conversations. So there wasn't like a lot of conflict. And then if I did see conflict between my parents, it was pretty much like conversation immediately stops. Typically, my dad would just walk out of the room and then that would be it, right? So like peace was maintained. And then like we were just off doing whatever family activity within like a few minutes, right? So Mm. again, it so conflict subconsciously probably was something that was bad or that would disrupt the family or relationship. So mm-hmm. that doesn't seem like a bad thing. But then when I got with Jocelyn and I felt those emotions, then I did the same thing, right? So I just would stop talking. So number one, I didn't have the ability to label what I was feeling because I never really mm-hmm. had to think through what it was. So when you can't label your own emotion, how can you express it? So you just don't. Mm-hmm. And I just saw that that wasn't serving us because then Jocelyn would, would feel isolated or pushed away. There was this disconnect and and not trying to go too long. Maybe that's the thing I really realized. I could watch my parents and just separating when there's conflict. What I didn't realize was the emotional disturbance, the emotional disconnection, and that may or may not have ever got resolved within uh, my parents' relationship. So that was the big missing between observation and then, oh, shoot, I realized that doesn't work because I'm still disconnected from my partner. We're not understanding. Even on the outside, we could be peaceful. And just to kind of bring it full circle, we started our relationship together. It wasn't perfect. You can read more of our story online. But how this turned into being part of our work is at first it was just more so an organic mission. You know, just sharing a message wasn't even intended to become like a business or a career. And then as many things do, it just like organically grew from there. And we became more like drawn to becoming experts in the field around marriage and communication and conflict. And so that really sent us down this trajectory of like mastering coaching skills and, and really wanting to be able to make relatable tools and skills for couples. And so we've been doing this work for eight years now and have a couple books, workshops, in-person events, coaching, online programs, you know, and it just, it comes from our, our passion to do this work. Yeah. And one thing you said, Aaron, in your story, I thought was so interesting. It was almost like this, this desire for peace, which is a positive, Mm -hmm. then resulted in a downstream consequence, which is like removing yourself from the situation. And I think that's so often what we end up doing is these unconscious ways that we're showing up and modeling what we saw, we think that they're helpful, or we're trying to either protect ourselves or the relationship, but then within the context of the dynamic between the other person, it's really unhelpful. So I think it's so important to realize that. But like you said, it starts with the awareness. So mm-hmm. how does one become more aware of maybe the the communication, the conflict or the connection patterns that they're bringing into the relationship? I mean, there's a lot of strategies that I think it's worth saying that because we notice in our work how men and women go about it is a little bit different. Mm -hmm. And I think that being able to speak to both is really important because I notice even for women that we talk to, they wish their partner was doing it the same way they were. 
Mm. And that can even create some conflict. It's like, I want to work on a relationship. We need to get better at this. And this is how I think we should do it. And then, you know, men can feel as though they're being told they're broken and they need to be fixed. And then that makes them even less resistant. So I just think it's worth saying that how we approach this is important and that our partner may do it differently. Hmm. But in terms of like our work with couples, first, we really have them identify what's the pattern that's actually happening and being able to notice, here's what I do. Here's what you do. And I mean, people are aware of it. You know, it takes them a moment to really be honest about it, but most people are pretty self-aware. They just are wanting a safe space to actually talk about it. And Mm -hmm. so being able to recognize here's my part in the pattern and here's your part. So we actually map it out completely like a play by play with couples. We have them slow down time and go, okay, what actually happens? What's the trigger? Okay. And then what is it that is coming up for you in your emotion? And we have like different sheets where they can pinpoint their emotion. Cause to Aaron's point, sometimes people only know like mad, sad, happy, you know, like yeah. those are the only emotions that they know. And so like, we need more literacy to our emotions. And so we have like a whole sheet where they can pinpoint what is it that you're feeling in your body. So I'll pause there, but that's the big ways we like slow down time and map out the sequence of their triggers, what they're feeling, and then what actions they take. Yeah, I love that. It's like learning what A plus B leads to C and just kind of dissecting the different parts because I agree with you of the self-awareness piece. You kind of know what's going on, but then sometimes it feels like it all happens so fast. So that slowing down time analogy is really, really helpful. Mm -hmm. And I think that the three pillars that you guys focus on of communication, conflict, and connection, I mean, those are so important to any relationship, but especially for someone like in my community who's experiencing anxiety, those can be big areas of I'm not sure I'm doing this right or how can I really build this with my partner so if you guys are up for it I'd love to just go through each of the three pillars and talk about them at high level we probably won't get to a deep podcast on all three of them because we don't have time to do that quite yet but maybe we'll do a part two you never know Mm -hmm. but when it comes to communication I think that it's one of those things that's always touted as this is the most important skill in a relationship so if someone is you know, feeling like I don't know what is not clicking, but something's not clicking with my communication. How do you maybe, and maybe you can speak from both genders and different perspectives. How do you kind of reflect on your communication style and then the way that it would work with a partner in the relationship? Communication, you know, when it gets down to it in a relationship is not like that much more than expressing needs and sort of negotiating how those needs get met, which mm-hmm. is a balance between then two individuals. And that's kind of what the relationship is. So if you think about it from that standpoint, whenever you have an upset, which is kind of what you're trying to avoid, then it comes down to that there must be an underlying need that's not getting met. Mm. Now, it gets starts to get more complicated because do you even know for yourself what that need is? Need for connection, need for respect, need for being understood. So the various underlying needs, and then the first breakdown in communication is you can verbalize your upset or you reveal the need and For whatever reason, as human beings, I think we're just more programmed to immediately share. Well, not always the case. Most are verbal in, hey, here's where I'm upset. But then typically that comes across as, well, you have a role to play in my upset. So it feels like blame. So then there's defensiveness on the side Mm -hmm. of the other partner. And then the other dynamic is, 
I'm upset, but I'm repressive. So I don't say anything and I hold it in. And then it just creates an emotional wedge. I'm distant. My partner's like, what's going on? It feels like they probe. <laughs> so, so you can see the, the past. So at the top level, there's an unmet need. That's why you're upset. And can you identify what the need is and then move towards expressing the need from, from your own perspective? I'm just revealing a part of what I need as a partner in this relationship. And that's a huge difference between just, again, verbalizing your complaints. Then you can move down the path to like making the request that you need, win-win solutions, which we call agreements. And then there's the follow through on that. So, but still high level communication is about the need. And I'd say, you know, Aaron talking about needs is somewhat unusual for men in the sense that we find women can be more easily expressive about needs. We tend to be more aware about our feelings and our needs and our upsets. (laughs) We can be very expressive about that, which is, again, we want to, we want to express ourselves in a way that can be received. And Mm -hmm. I noticed that we need to take more time to just kind of think through what we want to say. I notice that people just kind of spew things out or they just say it because maybe they're feeling anxious. And I get it. I know those moments when it's like, oh, I'm feeling all of this inside of me. And so we think we're going to feel better by just blurting it out. But we need to be more thoughtful, especially if our partner isn't as familiar with discussing emotion or they become overwhelmed with it for whatever reason, whether that's their upbringing and it, it wasn't discussed or if expressing your needs and emotions then turned into an issue. Mm-hmm. Right? So we have to be aware of who am I communicating with? How can I speak in a way that can be better received? So it's just really being more intentional. That was like a big unlock for me in my journey was I can't just communicate based off of how I'm feeling and what I think is going to make me feel better. I need to think about who's on the receiving end here and how can I express this in a way that can be more of a collaborative conversation. Yeah, I love that. I was just having another conversation on a podcast and I'm curious if this is what you mean of the unmet need versus the true kind of like feeling underneath it or the upset versus the unmet need. If maybe someone says you don't help enough around the house or something that could be the upset but really like the unmet need that could be deeper below is I really want to feel seen and appreciated for all of the effort that I'm putting in so would that be kind of the example of what you're sharing is the deeper root potentially one example yeah that's a great example and the expression of the complaint or the upset right could be the same from different partnerships but what's interesting is the need could be different so you're exactly right i want to feel more supported but it also might sound like i want to feel more cared for i want to feel more prioritized i want to feel more equitable i want to feel more balanced so you're exactly right and you know what makes it more complicated is like the high level upset isn't always correlated to the same need from an individual perspective definitely and what is your take on proactive like relationship check-ins or how often should people be proactively checking in? Because I feel like that is such a missing piece of the puzzle. People think that partners should just know each other's needs or know what each other is upset about. But I've found that when Nate and I set special time aside to check in, that can be a much more safe space to share these things. We are one. I just want to say, yeah, yeah. One interesting thing about that from a very high level perspective, I would just say the more tension or challenge or we all might label the lower your love account is, Mm. I think the more frequent you should have a check in. Mm hmm. So if you're really like in a struggling place, have that be daily, you know, have that be 
every morning or every evening you're having that kind of debrief. And I think the practical sense is the higher your love account is, the more that the needs, both the emotional and more of the physical needs are getting met, then you don't need as frequent of a check-in, but there's still probably some timeline, whether it's once a month or weekly. So we're big on even potentially weekly. The main thing I wanted to say was just the more challenging, the more frequent it should be. And then as you feel more in harmony, more synchronistic, it doesn't have to be as frequent. And then, yeah, you can decide on how frequent it is. So we're big on like putting things into context with the season of life that you're in, right? So yep. couples who may be listening might be in the stage of preparing for marriage, right? You're engaged, you're preparing for marriage. And so there's going to be a different level of need for check-ins. But we are in the stage of we've been married together now a decade. We have a child, we run a business together. And the season of life we're in and w- truly, I think it's basically all seasons, a weekly check-in could prevent so many issues, you know, and it can sound like the simplest things. And isn't it funny as human beings that we will not do the simplest things that can prevent things from becoming complex, yes. right? And so if you could just take, so we actually have a family meeting guide and one of the templates is weekly. And if you have even five to seven minutes, like if that's all you have, if you take that time and ask these few questions, you can prevent needs going unmet. You can prevent surprise conflicts because you're holding it in, holding it in. And then Tuesday night over dinner just, you know, comes out as an explosion. And so having an intentional time where you know, you each are going to get a chance to share, to check in, you're not going to blindside each other, you will prevent so many issues. Yeah. And I think that it can be healthy sometimes to compartmentalize that thing that maybe is like slightly irritating and just be like, all right, well, I know we're going to talk in a couple of days. So maybe I don't need to bring this up in this exact moment. But of course, if something feels really pressing, there's a big upset. We're not saying to suppress that, but I agree that proactive check-ins can be so important. Absolutely. Yeah. Just a few minutes a week. It's, it's huge. Yeah. So if we're not communicating and if we're not checking in, then that can kind of lead to this second pillar of conflict, which I know can be a big, scary subject for a lot of people because I think there's a lot of negative meaning associated with conflict. So what is your take on conflict as like this bad thing to be avoided? So one of the, can I jump in? The premise of our book, so we have the argument hangover right there, is that if you avoid conflict, you're really just going to build up resentments. You know, you're going to sweep things under the rug. And of course, that eventually will turn into a tripping hazard. Now, if we think about what conflict really is, it's when communication becomes either that you see things differently or that emotion is getting triggered. Mm -hmm. And so that's going to happen. Even if you're with your person, there are going to be times in certain seasons of life that you're going to see things differently, have different opinions on it and or trigger something in each other. And just to expect that. And why would you think that you can go your entire life with your person and not ever get into conflict? So instead, a better focus is to fight smarter. And part of that is being really aware of what your triggers are. And so we, in our book, we break it down what triggers are and how to better handle them. But I'd say from a high level, we need to realize as soon as possible when things are getting escalated. If you're in a conversation with your partner, instead of 
being controlled by your emotions, all of the, if you could really focus just your mastery on starting to become more observant of what you're feeling, create a pattern interrupt and choose a more intentional action. Cause that's really what it comes down to. Do you want to live life being controlled by your emotions and by your triggers? Or do you want to live life being aware of your triggers, aware of what emotions coming up for you and choosing a better action? I'd prefer the latter, right? I don't want to be controlled by my emotions. And so that's one way we just approach conflict and having couples really learn to de-escalate things as, as becoming masterful with our triggers. Which you could say is like a during conflict strategy, which would be differentiated between like a after conflict, because you know, you do your best, you can keep things from escalating, you can interrupt your triggers, but you'll still have some that fall between the cracks and it turns into a conflict, you escalate, you do some damage with the things that you say, the things that you do. So there's still the need for like then after conflict, which is How do we actually bring true repair to this? Yeah. And I know the book is the best resource for someone to get a deep dive into that, but is there kind of a one first step? Maybe you you just had a disagreement or even the next morning you woke up, you have the argument hangover and you're just like, oh, like I really just want connection again, which we'll talk about next as the next pillar. But like, I really want to move back toward my partner. This doesn't feel good. What's one thing that someone can either do to check in internally or to reach back out within the dynamic to get that? going. So we have five R's, which are five different steps for repair. But if you're just wanting the most simplest version, it's the moment that you can look for where you had responsibility in your actions or your language and be responsible for how that impacted your partner. That's like the biggest turning point from like a stalemate or the argument hangover into we're actually officially in a repair conversation. So the responsibility, however intended or unintended, and that's a big thing to get past. Can I sit, can I initiate repair? And can I listen? Hey, I know that went off the rails. I know we've been disconnected, but I'd love to give you the space partner to share. How how were you impacted? And if I truly listen and I'm listening for where I can be responsible in my own actions, that is the turning point for repairing with your partner. Yeah. And I think there's such a big difference between blame and responsibility, which I think a lot of people hesitate to say sorry or own their part because they feel like then they're going to be blamed or maybe they're blaming themselves as I shouldn't have done that. And so that makes me a bad partner versus Mm. no, how can I take responsibility? It's much more empowering. And I think Harriet Lerner wrote that the apology can be a gift to you, your partner, and the relationship. So there's three gifts in saying, I'm sorry, that I don't think we often think about. It actually makes you feel lighter. It's a gift to your partner. And then that third we in the relationship really gets nurtured when you're able to say, I'm sorry. And if we think about, right, we're talking about a partnership. So it really shouldn't be just one person who carries that burden. We would never advocate for someone to say, okay, yep, I'm going to be the one that goes, takes responsibility, takes responsibility. And the other person never does that. If that's occurring, then there really needs to be a conversation about, hey, like we, we need to work on how we handle conflict. And I'd like to talk about kind of how we're going to approach repair. And I think that's really important that, again, we talk about what kind of a partnership we want to have. And that's two people who step up to the plate. 
And yep. even if it's a little bit harder for the other, because again, there's different conflict styles, different upbrings. You know, I'll just share his family's amazing, by the way, like his parents, they've been married almost 50 years. They're amazing people. And I've had several conversations with them about just their, their interesting dynamic. They didn't say, I'm sorry, growing up. Hmm. It was uncomfortable, right? Like his parents, I've, I've had a really great conversation with his mom in the kitchen about it and just an observation and they're aware of it. It's uncomfortable to them. And so I noticed Aaron struggled with that in the beginning, mm-hmm. right? And I'm sorry, by the way, isn't the end all be all to repair. I want to make sure that's clear because of course, what are we told as kids? Say you're sorry. Yeah. And so then that's all people know that it takes repair. So it's like, I said, I'm sorry. Isn't that enough? Mm-hmm. And to the other person, why doesn't that feel like enough? Because what, what are you actually sorry for? Do you know what impacted me? And mm-hmm. so being able to upgrade your apology to say, you know, I do take responsibility for that I yelled at you. And I know that that is dishonoring to you and you don't deserve that. And I am going to work on that because I'm not okay with being someone who yells. Yeah. So much goodness in there. I love the point that you mentioned, first of all, about not overly taking responsibility. If you're the only one ever apologizing, then it's time to pause and regroup. So thank you for bringing that nuance in. And I just think it's so important, like you said, to be intentional with the apology, actually mean it, not just saying, oh, well, I'm sorry you felt that way. It's like, no, that's not a true apology. A true apology is really, like you said earlier, Aaron, seeking to understand your partner's position. How did I impact you? And I think that empathy is really a great way to better not only understand your partner, but understand yourself because you're understanding how your behaviors affect somebody else, which sometimes we don't get to see normally until someone mirrors it back to us. Is the apology easy or hard for you? I'm pretty good at apologizing, but what I'm not so great at is the initial upset or hurt, it still takes me a little bit of time to express that. So I grew up in a household where, and none of this we ever say is ever blaming, of course, but my mom was a little bit more passive. So she would kind of retreat maybe and and go back to herself instead of, or at least not in front of me openly expressing anything to my dad. So I learned to kind of keep things a little bit more hidden. And so Nate and I have gotten much better at this, but it's definitely been a thing where he says, are you sure nothing's wrong? Are you sure nothing's wrong? And kind of is a little bit more intentional with me. And then I eventually feel safe enough to kind of open up, but I do still, that's something I'm practicing actively. Yeah. And that work never begins, right? It's all about that awareness and continuing to practice. I mean, never ends. Never ends. Yes. What did I say? Never begins. Never be that work. (laughs) Never begins. Yeah. That that work (laughs) never ends. And that's, you know, we are, we're in this for the long haul. We want to be together for life. And so we don't expect each other to be the final version. You know, we, we want to evolve. We, we have a lot of grace for each other. We know we're on this journey for life. So we give each other that time. Mm, Yeah, so beautiful. That kind of perfectly segues into that third pillar, which I think gets underlooked so much, which is like the connection, because sometimes we're so focused on the skills of communicating or conflict resolution. It's like, no, let's actually focus on this connection that we have for each other and making sure that's a top priority. So what would you have to say about this, especially now that you have a growing family and you have like a different phase of life that you're in? How do you keep connection at the top of your priorities? Yeah, I was just thinking, well, as you're asking the question, it's like, well, a key to like Brene Brown, right? A key to connection is going to be vulnerability. And 
I don't think it's always required. Obviously a big piece. So I was just thinking about, you kind of have your regular interactions. And then I think you have your heightened emotion or your like your conflict interactions. And, you know, with the conflict, I think connection can actually be a huge outcome of a proper repair conversation mm-hmm. because the vulnerability is there. You're revealing emotion. There's understanding, there's validation, there's compassion. Uh, and again, it leads to like a better understanding of your partner's needs. And I think, I think all of that leads to connection. And then you kind of have like your more day to day, right? It's like, you're busy. You have a child. We bought a trampoline that takes up like our entire dining room. And so like our baby jumps up and down on it and you're making dinner and you're finishing work and you're doing emails, you're on Instagram. So I think there's still a, there's still building connection, right? Through whether it's like Mm -hmm. making deposits and filling your love account type of actions that, you know, maybe they don't need vulnerability, but it's like, there's an expression saying, Hey, you're important to me. I see you. I'd like to connect with you. Something that necessarily doesn't require the same level of vulnerability. So I just thought of like those two camps. Just to add to that, you know, I referred a few minutes ago to this idea of different seasons in a partnership. And again, Mm -hmm. I think, I think what's important if you're in a relationship for the long haul is to realize that this season isn't going to feel like last season and the next season won't feel like Mm -hmm. this one. And to be able to be with the ebbs and the flows and the fluctuations and, and that connection will look and feel different in those times. So we need to be adaptable flexible and present to the moment. So for example, us having our toddler right now, and we have one family member that lives near us. So we don't have date night twice a week, you know, and like just dinner together present. No, we have her throwing food and running around (laughs) and we're trying to connect in these moments. And so for us, okay, what does connection look like in this season of life? Okay, it looks like focusing on the love deposits, for example. So we talk a lot about the love account, which just to simplify is this idea, just like a bank account or a gas tank, that it's really the sum of your deposits versus your withdrawals, right? And Mm -hmm. like your bank account, you certainly hope you're making more deposits than withdrawals, right? We don't want to get into the red. And so we find that the love account principle is a really simple way, achievable way to think about how to stay connected, even if you're in busy seasons. Because for some of you listening, your partner might be back in school to get their PhD, for example, or you might've just had a child or you're planning your wedding or they're abroad doing some work. So whatever circumstances you have going on, if you can think about this love account principle and that you want to be making more deposits then withdrawals. And that's where the withdrawals are really important to pay attention to because what pushes our partner away? Those little remarks, those little micro criticisms, those just little jabs we make when we're not expressing our needs, for example. And so we're being a little more passive aggressive or we have some of our frustration coming out. So I could go on and on about that principle. It's a big one that we use in a lot of our resources and our tools, but I think the love account can be implemented no matter what season that you're in. Yeah, I love that. I want to put like a an add-on to two things that both of you said. So the repair being a way to bring more connection, Erin, that you just said, I think that's so important because the conversation earlier of 
conflict as bad or wrong or scary. Yes, it can be that when you're in the thick of it, especially if it never felt safe to you or you never saw it modeled, but there has so much potential afterwards for that connection and the repairing afterwards really can bring you closer and help you understand your partner better, help you understand yourself better. And so when we look at it from that opportunity perspective, what can this teach me about myself, my partner, my relationship? It's a much healthier, I think, mindset to be in. And so maybe you're not there yet. Maybe you still need to reframe what conflict means to you. But I thought, Erin, that was a great opportunity to do that as seeing it as a chance for more connection. So I wanted to share that piece. And then Jocelyn, with your note on seasons, I really think that's so important too, because a lot of people in my community get very worried during those ebbs and flows that things aren't always consistent. Or even in the day to day, I feel connected today and disconnected the next day. What does that mean? But it might just simply be a sign like, how can I add to the love tank? And it can be a simple pattern interrupt. If you're feeling disconnected, what's one way you can give to your partner instead of just looking to receive that connection? How can you foster more of it yourself? Absolutely. Well said. Yeah. And being able to recognize, okay, if today feels a little bit different, if I'm feeling anxious because my partner has been really distracted with work, for example, okay, how can we create connection tonight? Even if we just have 10 minutes of undistracted time and and focusing on what you can do, you're right. Like, what can I give instead of just receiving? Which actually goes back to our very first conversation of this episode, because in that moment, are you going to express the upset? Mm. You're always on your phone. Or are you going to express the underlying need? Hey, I'd like to foster more connection. Mm. Or even understanding that yourself and just moving towards an action of connection Maybe you don't even need to say anything. Yeah. It's like we have the power to really influence things in our relationship just by a simple step of like, if I put my phone down at dinner, there's so many times that Nate will do the same. Even if we're just quickly checking something while we're out, it's like, if I put my phone down, he just will do it too, you know? So I don't always need to be like, do this. I can just (laughs) act first. (laughs) Right. So thanks for adding that in. Yeah. The mirror neurons. (laughs) Exactly. So before we get to the last couple questions here, do either of you have anything else with relating to the three pillars that we've talked about that you want to make sure is included? You know, I think just like as a general overall thing, I know that in the relationship space, especially for people in your audience who tend to maybe have more anxious feelings or concerns or worries that it can become easy to feel overwhelmed by, I have to get better at this and I have to get better at this. And my partner needs to work on this. And I feel like even in the online space, you open up your page and you're told your partner's a narcissist and you haven't had an emotionally unavailable mom and you have to work and it can become overwhelming to work on yourself. And so I just feel compelled to just say that, you know, we, we really are just on this journey to grow and evolve that it's a marathon, not a sprint. And to just really focus on one or two changes you can make each day to not feel like you need to change the whole world, fix everything about your communication and conflict. We're big on incremental changes that compound. So that's one of the reasons that we have like our 30 day couples challenge, because it's really micro areas of focus each day that will compound. And I think that that can, that can reduce overwhelm and anxiety. So I just feel like that's what I felt compelled to say. Yeah, so important. Even just, yeah, like one simple thing, like expressing gratitude once that day, instead of feeling like you have a to-do list for your relationship, because then it doesn't feel, it feels so heavy. It doesn't feel light and enjoyable if you feel like there's 10 things that you have to, in quotes, get done that day. So thank you for adding that in. Beautiful reminder. All right. So last couple of questions here, and I want to hear each of your responses to this. So because this is the You Love and You Learn podcast, what is one thing you have learned about love that you want to leave listeners with? 
Mm. The first one that comes to me, if you want to think for a second, is just, I mean, as cliche as it sounds, just how important that relationship with ourselves is to our partner. And, you know, attachment styles has been a really big topic in the online space as well. And I definitely fell into having an anxious attachment style in my like teen years and my early 20s. And I got to this point before I met Aaron where I truly loved myself. I remember so distinctly driving down the street, music on, window down, on a date with myself, Mm -hmm. truly enjoying my own company, not needing anyone to be there. And that's when I attracted Aaron into my life. And I feel so secure in our partnership. Yes, because of who he is as a man and the kind of person he is in his character, but also because I'm secure in myself and my relationship with who I am. Yeah. So beautiful. I was really trying to dig into like an emotional response, but I am naturally more logical and more (laughs) like intellect driven, but bordering both. I realized that love is a variety of things. You know, it's first of all, you have love as the feeling of like passion and desire and attraction. So that's one aspect. And I think that's how I initially related to love, especially like in the beginning of a relationship. Mm-hmm. And then when you think about as as people transition to marriage, it's that balance between moving like you could say uncertainty or like the passion and the variety into trust, safety and security. Mm-hmm. And then and you want both. Yeah. And like almost the balance in a relationship is like, well, can you have trust and security and safety be high? as well as all of your uncertainty and your passion and attraction. Mm-hmm. So those are, that's like a balance. And then there's even further, there's like love as just shared experience. Like me and my partner, we've had experiences together that no one else has. So that's like an aspect of kind of companionship and partnership. And I think that's equally a part of love. And then at the end of the day, there's like the emotion of love. And sometimes we don't feel like that attraction, that passion, we might not have trust and security as high as it usually is. So I even realized at some point, love has to be separated from how you feel and has to be derived from a commitment. Mm -hmm. If I don't feel loved, so what? Like, what are my commitments in my relationship? So it's almost like a way of being that I have to act from that leads to more feelings of love, but I can't be, I can't be predicated on, Oh, I'm only going to act loving when I feel love because there'll be times where you won't have that. And so what are you going to do? Yeah. Wow. I love both of those. And I think to your analogy earlier, Jocelyn of the marathon, not a sprint, I think both self-love and everything you just shared, Erin, like infusing the the fun and the spark into that safety, security, and trust, but also practicing love as more of an act of will and a commitment, not just when you're feeling like it. Those are all things that are marathons and life's work. Mm. So thank you both so much for sharing that. And I'm sure people listening want to stay connected with you. So where can they learn more about your work and what do you have going on right now for them to check out? Yeah. So we have everything ranging from a book to a really popular right now, our instant access guides, where it's like you can really synthesize the information into a digestible guide. Like we have one on making up and moving forward. That's on repair, de-escalating conflicts, and then our family meeting guide. So those have been really big. Our 30-day couples challenge has been really popular lately as just a way to get positive momentum going. And again, focusing on those daily things that really compound. But everything we have is really, you can find it on our Instagram and our website which both are meet the Freemans. So on Instagram, it's at meet underscore the Freemans. And then our website is meet the Freemans and you'll find everything that we have there. 
Perfect. I'll put those all in the show notes for everyone. Thank you both so much. This was such a great conversation. I'm glad we finally got to do this. I really enjoyed it. Great questions and great conversation. Yeah. Thanks, Sarah. Thank you guys. See you in the next episode, everybody. Thank you so much for listening to the Love and You Learn podcast. If you've been enjoying the podcast, it would mean the absolute world to me if you could rate and review the podcast because the more ratings and reviews there are, the more people that can hear this message. And it's really important to me to get this message out to the world and to create a space where people can learn about love and relationships in a way that is not judgmental, in a way that helps them expand their perspective from the cultural narratives that we've heard and seen in the movies and in Hollywood and the media. And the more ratings and reviews that are there, the more people that can hear this message. So thank you again so much. It really means the world to me that you are listening and see you in the next episode.